Stefan. Yes. I am uh, once again excited. I think every time we, we start an episode, I say I'm excited. Is there? I need to get a new word for what I might be. I think be. you're just excited about every episode that we have. Do you think I'm just... They ex- are very exciting. Maybe I'm excitable. Do you want to hear? Why are you... Yes, I do. We have a special guest. Uh, her name is Anthea Foyer. Uh, and Anthea, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? You're listening to the Can't Sell This Podcast dedicated to projects past that never saw the light of day. With your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Sure, uh, it's always complicated to introduce myself. Uh, So I am an artist, a digital strategist, um, a maker, doer, thinker, schemer. I think that pretty much explains it. It it becomes hard to put on a card. Business card, is is it big? It is. I actually struggled for a long time figuring out about business cards, and then I just stopped. Having them? Yeah. Yeah. You Too just, hard. Oh. Yeah. Phone. Anthea, we are in the same boat there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so hard when you're trying to find a title that speaks to your industry. Uh, I find it very difficult, especially when uh, – uh, similar to uh, what Anthea does, where you're, you're playing in many different medium – many different media uh, and across platforms. So uh, for instance, with my title of creative director means one thing in advertising means something completely different in games and something completely different again in film and television. So it's really hard to explain to people what you do and be consistent about it. Mm-hmm. And then going into different fields as well, because I've gone into government, I've gone into media, I've gone into oh. arts, and entirely different in every one of those those spaces. So, yeah. And you seem to move fairly seamlessly from one space to another. <laughs> Do you feel that way? No, not really. Um, I mean, it seems to me you're very seamless, but perhaps that's just the way Facebook works. You know? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it sort of is and it's sort of not. I mean, if I look backwards and I trace where I've come from and what I've done – it seems kind of illogical, um, but it, I think it's just taking all the skills from all of them to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some logic in it, but if I wrote it down, it would make no sense, no logical <laughs> sense. Right. <laughs> and do you feel that part of your abil- ability as a natural networker and connector has helped springboard those changes for yourself? Like, like have, do you feel that – or do you, are you, is it just all good timing? Um, it's a bit of both. Um, mostly it's curiosity because that's usually how I end up networking. I mean, it's funny. I ended up becoming a good networker, but I was very, very, very shy for a lot of my life. Um, but I was curious and that just pushed everything past, like all my shyness. If I needed to figure out how something worked, I just found people that I could ask, um, or work with on things so I could figure out how things work. Right. Yeah. And I mean, when, when we met, you were curating for the city of Mississauga, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. Uh, so you're mostly doing like installation work and uh, getting people to do things inside the city and outside the city, right? Mm-hmm. Or outside in the city. Yeah. And since then, you've moved on and you're now part of Smart Cities. Yeah. So I'm the project lead for Smart Cities for Mississauga. So it's essentially, it's it's like writing a science fiction novel every day. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's like, so I have these moments that are really banal. And, and then these moments, like I was talking to our planning department one day and I started asking them about 
um, re- like div- if we needed to redesign the the sidewalks to plan for drones that are coming. And I realized I have a weird job. Yeah. <laughs> if that's my normal everyday conversation that I'm having and how I'm thinking about the cities, it's it's all this kind of near future possibility space. So your next job is like you're a futurist. I'm hoping so. Oh, you just need to you just call yourself a futurist. Done. That's all it takes. That's as far <laughs> as I can tell. The futurists I know I just decided one day they were going to be called such, and they, that's what they are. Yeah. But you could be. I could be. I, I kind of moved into the future without noticing. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's part of understanding trends and, and um, having a keen eye, right? Yeah. Do you uh, find – oh, sorry, Stefan – I'm totally just talking because I happen to be present. But do you have? Yes. <laughs> would you like to ask a question? <laughs> no, I mean I was going to say, uh, you know, Anthony and I actually go uh, back a ways, and we met in uh, Nosara, Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Shut up. We both live in Toronto, but it took uh, a trip to Costa Rica, where we were both part of a uh, sort of, I guess, an artist in residency program. Uh, with uh, uh, called uh, Ford slash Stories, hmm. and um, and so we met there with a bunch of other artists and uh, got to talk a lot about the future and storytelling and using technology and storytelling and I'm, we've stayed somewhat in touch. I think maybe a little bit more than some of the other cohorts, but uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy to have you on the show. Because I always thought that, um, I mean, at the time you were doing a lot of the, the curation work for the city of Mississauga. But one of the other things that I I loved that you were were um, um, advertising heavily was <laughs> the the world's tiniest music festival. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think at some point we might need to talk about that. No problem. Is now the time? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you only get asked once. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now's yeah. the time. So uh, I have music events at my house. I have a very small house, but um, we just started doing music events because my tenant in the basement uh, has worked in the music industry for years. And then she brought on another friend, Rich, and I told them about this dream that I had about having the world's tiniest music festival. <laughs> and so um, basically when we do it, it's like a festival. So you come in, you get a map, you get a wristband. <laughs> There's like artist venues, like artists set up selling their wares. Um, there's art installations. There's even sort of a selfie flag station so you can get your picture taken beside the heartbeat. <laughs> um, and then we have bands that play. And it's a really, really fun day. And uh, and it's really nice. So we, um, we get really great musicians to play, and they always love it. Because basically everybody comes and they just stay. Mm-hmm. And the first year that I did it, I had all these sort of um, – discussions around should I ban people bringing their cell phones or like how do I make this be a place where people just are in it and they're there and I've never had to yeah you know people are just there to enjoy it anyways Mm -hmm. yeah but there's also is that this isn't the same music thing that uh, that's that's that small uh oh gosh I can't remember what it's called it's a Facebook group that it's the a, House of Wayward Women? No, that's the that's what <laughs> that's it is. my house. Yeah. There's, an, there's another one that is, um, gosh, Elena Unisov posts about it, and it's like 
classical artery? Uh, uh, muse 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 yeah group muse group muse oh my yeah gosh. yeah but is that yours as well or no, no no i've tried my damnedest to keep this to be a house party and not a venue <laughs> <laughs> and the harder i try the more the more stuff it becomes happen. like a venue um <laughs> does it not become a little illegal the more it becomes a venue and and you're just a you know, oh, a person know. having a house? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know where it would be illegal. Like, because right. You're not selling anything. No. Right. No, I'm not selling anything. Um, we usually get a beer sponsor, so we don't sell alcohol. And we, Amazing. Yeah. So people will pay the, the musicians. For sure. Um, but that's it. So I, yeah, so I don't think so. And my neighbors are amazing. They now sit in their backyards and listen. Right. And then they let us know at the end of the night if they want us to keep going or not. And it's usually (laughs) a yes. So that's good. Um, But yeah. And how long have you been doing it? Um, so we've done that one, and then we do a Canadian Music Week um, party as well. Really? And so they've both been good. Go- I think I did, I've did. i done Heartbeat maybe three times, and I think the Canadian Music one, we've done four or five. Right. And that one's super funny to me because that one's so out of my – like, I'm not in the music industry. I'm just around it. Yeah. And that one, <laughs> we've been in – one year somebody sent me this posting, and it was like um, the best events during this we- we- year's uh, Canadian Music oh, Week. Oh, And it was like Lee's Pal. Alice and like all these big venues and then the House of Wayward Women and there was all these pictures in my backyard. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is so weird. And it was super funny. And I guess people have tried to get us voted as like the best alternative venue, but because we're like You're not just really a venue, venue just a house. <laughs> yeah, nothing ever happens. So uh, that one's really funny to me. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's indicative of a, of a great idea, mm-hmm. you know, then it has legs. You just keep doing it. Yeah. And also you're not – Investing anything beyond time, yeah. which is probably the reason it's still fun, yeah. right? It's yeah. like if you were a promotional person or a promoter and they're like, oh, I got to get more tickets. So yeah. you're just like, look, people come and they enjoy themselves and that's the end of it. Yeah. Um, have you – did you parlay that – has that been the way you are in general? Like I want something in which people come and enjoy themselves and I'm not. I'm not interested in – stressing too hard about the things that I'm putting on? Um, I think I've come to that place. So <laughs> <laughs> I think because I've put on a lot of events over the years. Sure. And I actually had this amazing roommate when I moved to Vancouver, this woman named Lise. And so we, we used to have lots of parties and theme parties, and she did that as well. And she was awesome because she had this thing where if one or two people showed up, that's fantastic because look how much time we get to spend with these two people. Right. And it was just like a really good kind of basis for throwing events because those people showed up. So why give them a, a crappy time? Like they should have fun. And so we've always done that. And so we've always like from there to now, then people just come because they know it will be nice no matter what. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it's been pretty fun that way. And then there's also been this thing because I've been doing events for so long at my house that my friends have now become the hosts. And so and strangers have become the hosts that come. So I don't really have to I don't even need to clean up at the end of the night. When I wake up in the morning, people stay up and clean my house. Oh. <laughs> so it's really easy. Well, that's me. great. That's yeah. really great. Well, I mean, it makes a a person willing to have people back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you're not sitting there slogging it out the next day. Yeah. Um, do you find that um, – does, does, because you, you're an artist as well, mm-hmm. have you found that you try to work your 
interest in art into the things around you. So, yeah. you know, you know, obvi- the most obvious thing is the curation. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I remember how excited you were when that outdoor light thing you were working mm-hmm. on with Nathan got put up. Um, does the opportunity to work with and collaborate, is that what drives your interests or your interests to collaborate? Um, I mean, I love it. I, I'm finding I haven't had as much time to do that lately, but I love right. working around other artists. It's really fun to see how they work mm-hmm. and how, and particularly people that work in mediums that I don't work in. I just find it completely fascinating. Right. Uh, a few years ago, I decided that I was going to, um, I got this idea that I wanted to uh work with dancer, a dancer. <laughs> and so, and it was so fascinating because the night before I'd booked a room and I'd booked her and I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so I'm like Googling like how to choreography. Choreography. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're waving your hands back and forth. Yeah. And like, I, oh, the sneaky <laughs> hand. Like this. And I just couldn't in my mind imagine at all because it's so out of my realm how you have a person and then at the end of the weekend you have a dance. Right. And she was amazing. She knew, I mean, she knew my level and she's a choreographer and she worked through it with me. But I love those moments of just like not knowing and being able to figure out how something else works. Yeah, I think... I think a natural curiosity is a is a real benefit. It can be a benefit and a curse, obviously. Yeah. I, I find that with my lo- long exposure project and I got a Bollywood dancer in front of me and she kept saying, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, what <laughs> do you normally do? Do that with light attached to your body and dance and I'll take a picture. You know, and, I, and the same thing with the Taekwondo guy. He's like, well, what movements would you like? I'm like... What movements make you move the most? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not a Taekwondo guy. Like my yeah. job is to hold the shutter down and let go. You yeah. know, so uh, you know, Stefan and I have talked about this particular thing ad nauseum. The fact that you can have a ton of ideas and sometimes the execution just isn't there. Yeah. Um, and do you find now, after a number of years of of essentially being an artist that lifts up other artists, for instance, do you find that uh, you're more interested in the execution now on your end than, than it is like, I just I just want everybody to succeed. You also would like to do your own art because I've seen you do drawings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you figure you're, are you entering a, a world wherein you're going to start making your own art as well? Um, I, I always have. Yeah. I haven't, I've always made my own art on the, as well along the same route. Okay. Um, I mean, I do have a lot of push and pull, like internally trying to, wishing that I had been able to spend more time at it or that that could have been um, something I could have made enough of a, enough money off of that I could have spent more of my life doing it. Um, but I think that's probably pretty common. I think there's very few yeah. people that are lucky enough to just do that. Uh, but I do. I mean, I do. I do get stressed out, think, worrying about um, my craft, and that I haven't been able to to find that time to really spend more time on the craft of the work that I do. Right. Yeah. But there was amazing. A friend of mine on her Facebook feed maybe a year or two ago. It always stuck in my mind because she's so she's a writer, and she just sort of asked everybody like. How do you find time to make art? Because most of us have other jobs of some sort or families or whatever. And it was the most fascinating list because, you know, there were some people that would get up early in the morning at like 5 a.m. to do something for an hour. Other people just kind of fitting it in. Other people doing stuff with their kids. Like, And it, it was just a really nice reminder to me that most of us are trying to figure out how to 
fit all of this together and that there's not there's very few that get that kind of real freedom they're to just, just do that. Yeah, they're just artists. Yeah. I think I think one of the interesting things about um like Stefan for instance uh is is when he makes the time to to write. You yeah. know, like we 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 back and forth. Um I'll write something, he'll write something. We can respond to each other's writing. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean we have to put a lot of time out to write something fresh, we can actually react. And I find Stefan's insights to be really valuable. Um, and then when I get to read his writing, I'm like, oh, that's very different from mine. You know, mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a whole different um, mindset. Although, you know, not necessarily to the point of like, I don't recognize anything I'm reading. It's just, I, I, I love to read someone else's or, or see someone else's creation because it's never going to be what I would create, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what's most Gratifying, I think, is the word I'm looking for. Is it's it's always gratifying to see other people creating, especially when you know that they're. I just don't have time. Yeah, you know, no one has time, but when they can make time, like even stuff that they're not happy with, can still be mind-blowingly good. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what's what's so much fun about watching the stuff that you've brought up and brought out. You know, and like even like that whole that. I mean, that outdoor light sculpture thing. I was like, oh, my God, how do you even get it up on the roof? You know, like. Cranes. It was so cool. (laughs) (laughs) That was really But how do you build the cranes? You need cranes to build cranes. I know. It's true. Robots. That's when the smart cities and the, like, digital curation comes together. (laughs) Yeah. The drones will make all the art from now on. All of the drones. All of the drones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stefan, are you – are you, are you percolating on something over there? No, I, I mean, uh, just to add to what you were saying, I think it's also interesting from the, the opposite point of view. So uh, uh, like like yourself, I love getting someone else's work and seeing how they've tackled an idea in a much different way than I would have, like when you and I do this. But I think it's also interesting from you know, the point of view of the, the uh, I guess, uh, initializing creator right you start with this idea and then you pass it on to someone and when you get those that fresh take on what you've been working on i i love working creatively uh, creatively and collaboratively with you because i find that um the idea keeps shifting and bouncing around and changing and uh more often than not for the better yeah i think that's what makes good collaboration and to begin with, like it's not that's my idea and that's the end of it, and you're yeah. just going to work on your part of it. Do you find, uh, Anthea? Do you find that? Uh, do you seek out collaboration more often than not than trying to do something solo? It's a bit of both. I kind of, I I struggle with it because when it works really well, it's so it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. there was I um, decided a few years ago that I was going to do. Um, an interactive play because, you know, I've never done that before and I wanted to figure out how that worked. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, found uh, – we actually did it on Toronto Island in February on the beach. That's how you do those I things, know. interactive plays. <laughs> Mostly wow. the interaction is for shivering. Yeah. It's just everybody shivering. Come on, make your own body heat. Well, you make them run around, right? Like, oh, that's good. That so they have to do stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. But, um, but it was really cool because I had – so I had – five, six actors and a musician. 
And the thing that was interesting to me, because I'd never done any theater before, was how the actors, because they were trying to figure out their characters, they just expanded this world that I'd created. Right. And it was so fun because they were really, really thoughtful and careful to try and stay within the world that I'd created. But they just were doing things that I couldn't even imagine. Somebody came up with a language. Like, they actually wrote, um, they wow. made a new alphabet. And I was like, wow, you're amazing. <laughs> I would never, ever think to do that. And so he was writing people notes in it. And, like, it was amazing. And so I think those parts are really cool. Um, but it, it's hard because then sometimes if it's a forced collaboration, it's sometimes you can make it gel. And sometimes it just doesn't. Right. No matter how hard you try, you just can't come up with the idea that you're both as excited to work on. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's interesting because because as a parent, you know, yeah. I watch my kids playing with other kids. And there's always that give and take you watch and say, okay, well, that's not working. You know, like. One kid is trying too hard or one kid's not working hard enough. And it, I mean, that, that's all through your life, you mm -hmm. know. So the idea that the group work that you never wanted to do in the first place and means you're stuck with someone. And if it doesn't work, it just becomes a, a chore. And how often do you spend thinking, I just don't want another chore. You know, mm -hmm. I already work hard. So the, the, I don't want to make art and make it be work. Mm -hmm. Right? Like... But where are those moments of, like, pushing through? Because you also don't have to do that when you're making art for yourself, you know. And so sometimes I wonder, like, where are those moments where if I just spent another few hours on this or I just pushed through, it would it would become something better or something else? And one of those moments where you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've just spent, like, <laughs> so long on this thing and it's right. still crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, giving up is the name of the game. <laughs> Five minutes out. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and you're the one that's had a drinks to fan. I'm, I'm like 100%. I, I, yeah. Undrinky. Undrinky. I like yeah. it. That's a word-ish, mostly. Sure. If not, will, will be. It is now. All words are made up, Stefan. Oh. <gasps> <laughs> I so I find it interesting though, uh, like with the the curation work that you did, Anthea. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's an element of that that collaboration in there as well because it's. I find, I mean, you need to work with the artists, correct, in order to like like it's it's never artists that just came to you with finalized pieces, right? It was it was curation, but also collaboration. Or am I off-base there? Well, with the, the work that I did at the city, a lot of it is artists coming to you with work that is either done or almost done. Um, but oh, okay. the thing that, I mean, and it's also a little bit different. So I did a few different things. So there was permanent pieces, so like the light piece that's on top of the small arm building, arms building. Um, and that one's, that one's sort of a semi-permanent piece, so for a few years. Um, and then there was more temporary pieces. And then I did, um, we have two big digital billboards. So I did an art in the screens program on those for quite a long time. Um, but the ones that are, are the, the bigger artworks, um, People generally come with an idea and they tell you, but it's also then you have to sort of figure out things like, um, is it too heavy for this place? And you work with all the city engineers and teams and 
And I think with with doing a lot of public artwork, what people don't realize is about 10% creativity and about like 90% like organization and bureaucracy. <laughs> and so a lot of it is really just being very, very organized and um, working with teams from across the city. Um, and then they all have to kind of, and so a lot of my job was really just organizing all of those teams. So, I mean, for example, if you did need to get a crane in and you needed to shut down a street in order to get something in, you have to deal with all of the teams from the deal with both the street and the sidewalk. And then if it crosses Mm. a bus pass or sorry, a bus stop. And then if there's an overhead wire and it might belong to the city or it might belong to the region, like it's just this sort of complex system of systems that you have to to work your way through. So your job is to work with the artists to make sure that they get what they want, but also make sure that it fits in with the city systems and that it's safe and no one can push it over and roll it onto someone else <laughs> or, you know, those kinds of things. So <laughs> that's incredibly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think when, when someone goes like, oh, I'm a curator, like, oh, well, look at you. But it's like, holy crap, you're like in a, in a very organized project manager with an eye for art, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of this amazing ability to coordinate that I don't, not a lot of people have that. And I don't know if that's actually my best skill. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, the I one you're, you did? did. <clears throat> I know. And I can do it. I mean, and at the city, there's a lot of help because there's a lot of people doing it. Um, but I do work, I have worked with a couple of, of curators of the years that have been doing um, public artworks for longer than I have. And they really, I mean, that is their skill is really being able to work with, you know, because you might be working with Metrolinks and you might be working right. with engineers. And because a lot of the curation work that I've done outside of the city or even some inside of the city hasn't been, uh, I've only done a few of the larger works. So it's more temporary. So it's, it's, it is more about kind of working with the artists and, and right. having a little more creativity over it. But you definitely need to be organized. But do you feel that, sorry, not but, yeah. do you feel that... That all of that experience, the ability to be organized and 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 coordinate and know what agencies are responsible for what, has that really helped you in the smart cities aspect? Mm-hmm. Because that is a whole that is entirely infrastructure based, right? No, it's not actually uh, partially wow. infrastructure based. It is one of the it is probably the most complex problem that I have ever tried to solve in my life. It's been such an interesting hard year. Um, my brain hurts. Everything in a city is digital now. So everything from the infrastructure. So Mississauga actually has its own internet. So we have our own fiber network. We have an IoT Internet of Things network across the whole city. Like there's a lot of infrastructure that's there. Um, but then we're also doing sort of social programs as well. So we're doing uh, laptop lending programs with our library for people that can't afford a computer and data. Um, we're working with newcomers to work with them on some of our programs and skills and training, uh, doing data policy and governance. Um, and then I'm working with every every department across the city because every, every department is working on digital something. Right. Um, so it's a matter of kind of looking at all of it and figuring out how it connects and how people can collaborate better. Um, <clears throat> and then looking at the future trends and seeing how those will connect back too. So it's really just like looking at all these complex systems and trying to fit them together and then do all the change management with people that have actually not been too bad, but change is kind of hard for big organizations. Oh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's complex. It's like watching a cruise ship turn. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm. Pretty much. Thousands of people going, no. <laughs> um, sorry, Stefania. 
do you have anything to uh no 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 i, I agree it's that, that that slow arduous process uh, and I mean, I, especially when you're working with something as innovative as uh, a smart city where you want to be moving as quickly as possible, you know, there's, there's new technologies, there's, you know, prototyping, and then you're dealing with these companies that, or these, these agencies that are, that are just massive and need that time to not only absorb whatever data you've given them, but then also to act on it. I, uh, 100% can see how that would be a um, difficult and probably often frustrating process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for sure it can be. I'm super lucky, though, because the CIO of Mississauga, so he's my boss, and he likes to move fast, and he wants me to just go in there and be agile. So I have quite a bit of support oh, to move a little bit faster. Um, so that helps. And we really have tried to design processes that are faster. So we're trying to implement. So it, um, we just had the master plan endorsed by council this summer. So I'm just starting the pro, the, uh, like designing all the programs now. Um, so I'm trying my best to make sure that they're a lot faster. So, for example, before, if you like, one of you had a great idea and you were like, this is what we need to do, it would take three years from that great idea through procurement, through, like, the whole thing before we would get that thing. And in technology, it's That's probably changed. done. Like, you know, and you're like, oh. Uh. So, yeah. so wow. we're trying to sort of speed up all of these processes and introduce things like prototyping and testing and trying. And so there's part of that. And then I also get to bring in a lot of storytelling because a lot of it's also making sure that the public understands what this stuff is because it's so esoteric and weird. When I talk about data, I just see people glaze and they're like, I don't know what you're talking mm. about. And I don't care. <laughs> um, so just trying to find ways to help people connect to it right. so that they can get engaged and it's not just this this process that's happened to them, but they get to be part of it. Yeah. No, that's got to be – I mean, you seem like a fairly optimistic person. Mostly, Ryan? some cynicism. <laughs> mostly, I try and a little cynicism, but you, but you sound you sound really optimistic. I think I think it's good to have that kind of optimism when you're trying to make fundamental change, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to make some fairly robust changes to a, like we said, a ponderous, you know, beast of a city, and it's not even it's not it, it's not Toronto, like which is even worse in mm-hmm. terms of like ability to make things happen so if you're able to take something on the scale of mississauga which is actually a fairly big city we are right? the sixth largest city in canada sixth largest <laughs> stefan stop judging <laughs> i what? could i could hear you right from the right through the phone i was oh. being all judgy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was me that was being judgy i didn't mean to but i mean but part of it is like I've, been, I've lived in the GTI. I lived in Toronto for 20-something years, 27 years. And I never thought of Mississauga as being capable of being more nimble than mm-hmm. Toronto. But I'm so happy to see it is, you know? like I, Because we're always – I feel like, like Toronto sort of two steps forward, one step back – or two steps back, one step forward, you know, we're constantly in this battle, but it's nice to see uh, someone with vision uh, driving change. And I think that that's, that's you. Uh, I think you have, uh, you're uh, an inspiring person for sure. Um, And it's fun to, it's been fun to watch like from the outside to watch 
what I consider to be your, like I said, your optimism to see you say like, oh, well, this is going on now. And it's like, oh, wow, that's so exciting. Like even, even to the extent of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm up to something here. It's not related to the smart cities, but to see the thinking that you have about pretty much everything you do, it's, there's very little haphazard action going on. <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> so I'm glad to see that it looks like there's a, some sort of Well, you of look like you got plan. it all together, girl. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is what we all want is to yeah. look like we got it together. It's, well, okay. Well, you're doing a great job of not looking like you're <laughs> wasted. <That's> perfect. <laughs> uh, I think it's that thing, though, too. Once you do things, you always want to do more things or there's things you're not doing when you're thinking about these. But yeah, no, it's been really interesting. And I mean, it's been interesting to sort of be able to pull together all of these different things that I've done and be in a place where they let me really play with all of that. And it wasn't, Mississauga was not the place that I thought that would be. Like, and I've somehow managed to have people around me that are letting me do it. I have a city that, because it's new, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great things going on in Toronto, but it's also difficult because it's a big city and the amalgamations, like from a very just government side seems to like I think there's something like there's still four finance departments like it's very confusing um, whereas Mississauga has is Mississauga, is Mississauga right. and it's grown and it's only 40 right so they built all the systems as they built it we don't have to replace all like we don't have to try and figure out how to look at all these old systems or everything's fresh so it's kind of a nice place to start from that's great mm-hmm. and I mean it, not that not that you want to leave that place but mm-hmm. I mean it, it you have a a pedigree that is like enviable mm-hmm. in terms of like what you've accomplished. I've, I've always been super blown away. Also, I mean, on a personal note, you're the reason I have my job, right? Like, you still owe me a drink. Your, what's that? <laughs> you still owe me a drink. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely pay you. I'll, I do owe you a drink. But it is, it's all because of someone reaching out, Richard Latchman, reaching mm-hmm. out to Anthea and saying, you know, we have this position you know, could you look at it and do you know anybody? And it was like, thankfully, I was probably like the seventh name that came to mind. Mm-mm. I'm just joking. I was being self, <laughs> self-deprecating. So like she said, have you heard of Hugh Elliott? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure you said, what? No. <laughs> That's crazy. How could you not That's know That's insane. Hugh? How could you not know Hugh? <laughs> Hugh knows everybody, but I don't. I didn't know him. So, but it really worked out great. Like, I mean, I, I, I do really enjoy my job. It's quite a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a different beast to be in academia, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, I can imagine, I, actually, I, I, well, no, no, I can kind of imagine what it must be like to be in the bureaucracy of a city Mm-hmm. Uh, to be dealing with governmental layers when you're just like, I'm an artist with, <laughs> <you know? laughs> like all I can think is like every time someone asks me what I do, I'm like, I'm like in-house creative technologist for Ryerson University. Yeah, That's not really my job, but that's how it's the easiest way for me to explain what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think about the card and all the titles that could be on a card yeah. and how I have really tried hard to distill who I am down to like a couple of words. <laughs> and I, I wonder sometimes like, do you ever think there is no distillation of you? Like you're just, I am all of these things. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you. Um, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't ask questions and have a yes or no answer. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, 
Yeah, I th- I think I started thinking of myself a few months ago as like a multiverse. Like I was just like it's all sort of simultaneously happening at the same time and it makes sense in my brain and and I feel like I'm also surrounded like I think both of you are these kind of people too. I'm surrounded by people that also do this, that are also curious, that are also trying things and seeing what works and then suddenly looking back and realizing oh that is like not it doesn't seem like a logical step but it's just sort of happened you know like even with that job when I saw it I mean we'd sort of um, you know, I'd sort of seen what your skills were, and even though it was a different field, it seemed like the right fit. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's just a bit of—I think our world's a bit like that now too, where there's, there's not—it's not as simple as being a, you know, a, a doctor or a teacher or whatever the the simple descriptions were before. Yeah, there are there are there aren't as many columns that yeah. you can fit into. Um, and I think, I think you surround yourself with the people you want to be surrounded with, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it 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 doesn't. So it doesn't it didn't surprise well hold on it surprised me in the moment but it doesn't surprise me any longer that you knew Richard Latchman mm-hmm. right like that's a person that has been innovating and creating for however long and you are a person who has been innovating and creating for however so you surround yourself with the people that are like-minded or are capable or can uh complement your skills mm-hmm. and i think that's that's one of our as you get older, it's one of the things you you try really hard to do is to make sure that you're you're surrounded with people that can help or complement what you what you get up to. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if like either of you find this. I mean, I don't know. I, it would probably be more at the university than it would be maybe in creative companies. But it's also interesting being kind of like the creative in a room of people that that don't consider themselves to be that, and so sort of trying to find this balance like even with my job now I mean they brought me on because they wanted all of my creative skills but sometimes I feel like I'm kind of like the resident weirdo and I never know how much I should turn that up or dial that up or dial that down and like but they brought me on for that and being able to just kind of like own that and be in that and 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 feel like I can um do the the more creative projects that I wanted to do within this realm rather than sometimes I think oh maybe I should be looking more like road safety or traffic management systems instead of speculative <laughs> fiction around the future, you know? But, like, that's kind of what they're allowing me to do in this space. Yeah, so. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But it is funny being well, the I one. Mean, mm-hmm. Going into that, like, so this idea of, like, like when when you tell me, oh, I you know, I'm, I'm living in science fiction, I'm writing science fiction every day, I I can sort of extrapolate from that the I see what that means to a smart city project. I can see how asking the same questions that any science fiction author would ask, you know, like you were saying before, do we need to redesign the way our sidewalks work to prepare ourselves for drones? But that can't be an easy sell to some people. When you go in there and and you start thinking about these, you know, very high concept science fictiony ideas, and presenting them as being things that we should be working towards, like, have you ever run into a situation where, um, where someone that you're trying to get on board for a, a concept or a, a project uh, in this vein, and they just they just are completely opposed to it or don't understand it enough to be able to say one way or another where how they feel about it 
Um, for sure. I mean, it's getting to be less because I think our world is magic right now. And I think that mm. uh, people are seeing things that they didn't ever imagine that they would. Um, but I have had to, I did have one um, presentation to some of our leadership team where I basically went in and I said, like, these are all the things that are happening right now. And I kind of outlined, you know, I think GM put in something like $60 billion into autonomous vehicles a few years ago. Like, there's enormous amounts of money and time going into um, nanotechnology and autonomous vehicles and um, all sorts of other things. And I basically outlined it to them and said, like, I don't want you to tell me that you don't want this because it's just happening. So our job is to figure out what to do with it. And so that was my kind of like thing to them where I was like, this is the last time I'm telling you this. You can <laughs> tell me that you don't want autonomous vehicles, but I can't personally stop that. Yeah. So we They're have common. to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. And and so they've been pretty good since then. I mean, I think that some of it is harder, like um, a lot of the data stuff. So a lot of the stuff that's going on with Cambridge Analytica and that level of data is so hard. I mean, I can barely understand it. Like, it's really difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. So I think for some of the um, the staff that I work with, it's difficult for them to understand what a priority that is because it doesn't feel like one in the same way that building a road or a bridge or a school or like a community center or whatever they're building. Like, those are a little more tangible to, to people. And I, I get that. So part of my job is being able to make people understand what it is and why it's important. Um, and that will always be a bit of a struggle with some of these things because a lot of them are are really, they feel really out there. Um, but it's, it's yeah. also interesting. But the state of, it, it, speaking specifically about drones, for instance, like mm -hmm. the state of what we think of as a, as a drone and, and what it can currently do is yeah. not what it's going to be able to do in two years. Right. So, I mean, mm -hmm. now the, the, the concept of delivery drones yeah, that's actually happening. Those those yeah. are, you know, flying out and delivering things to people. You know, yeah. like that's that's a thing that's happening. And yet, I can say two years ago, I would never have even considered it. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that I don't think any of us would have considered. But we've seen on a movie going, oh, man, that'd be cool if that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like when we start dealing with somebody had said like, oh, the reason we were not going to see a lot of personal uh, UAVs. Like something you actually sit, or not a UAV, it's an unmanned aerial thing, but uh, like a like a drone that you sit in and you fly right. is because we still have people going, I know my car, I know how much gas it needs, yeah. that red light doesn't mean anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're in a drone going, yeah. I know my I know my drone, it's totally fine, that blinking red light's, ah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like crashing and stuff. So, I mean, like the things that we now take for granted as, well, that's just too far, you know, yeah. it's, it's, there's no way, but it is. Yeah. There is a way, and it's coming. Like, and it's probably already here. Like, I mean, our city already has drones. We have drones for right. emergency services. We have drones for our um, parks. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, some of our other teams, like in culture, would like drones for phot photography and, right. and things like that. So they're already here. Um, I do have to say that if you put drones in the title, a meeting title request – Everyone shows up to you. Oh, yeah? Because they're expecting to see videos and stuff. Yeah. Like, are you bringing out that drone again? I am. It's not going to run, but, yeah, I am bringing it out. So I've decided that I want my meetings to be, like, the coolest meetings so that people will show up. Because when people will show up and they were fighting to get to a meeting, which is rare in a city. 
<laughs> Most people try to find all the ways they can to avoid going to a meeting. To uh, avoid going to a meeting. <laughs> but it means that you can, if you talk about drones, you can talk about privacy. You can talk sure. about citizen expectation. You can talk about uh, legal um, freedom of information. Like, So I think they're also really good ways to have these other conversations that everyone wants to have. And I think those are the parts that like sort of bringing through my kind of past storytelling um, history works really well because it it lets me tell um, the stories of these things and how they affect people. And so we can have a better conversation. Um, so, oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, it's, I find, um, I mean, just drawing back on, on some of, of my history working in VR and when – when there was this huge uh, uh, demand for the buzzwordiest uh, <laughs> advertising gimmicks, everybody wanted the VR. How many VR can you give us? We want, we want more <laughs> VR. And and without really getting into it, we had so many uh, clients who remain unnamed, but who just didn't understand where the technology was at and what was possible. Mm -hmm. Now, in our case, it was the opposite. It was that they believed it was magic. They believed it could do things that, you know, it are just too far fetched. And we had to dial it back. We had to tell them where the technology is at. And like, we actually got to the point where we developed a deck that was like, hey, we can walk you through what's what this technology <laughs> actually is. It's so five slides at the yeah. beginning of our talk. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably so, had to show uh, that a thousand times. Oh, yeah. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've had a couple of conversations now about um, how, as a young adult, going to school and being in a creative field and being a, a huge fan of cyberpunk and near-future science fiction literature and, and thinking in, in my early 20s, Thankfully, I'm in a creative field. The robots are never coming for my job, <laughs> right? And, and then you see a tweet I, with like, "I made a bot watch a thousand hours of science fiction." Here's the script it wrote, and, <laughs> and you're like, "No!" <laughs> so, so having a conversation with someone saying like, "Okay, well, we're at this point now where we have artificial intelligence. We have a, a, a human-computer interface that is becoming more and more like natural language." So I'm talking about Alexa and Siri and being able to ask computers questions and, and they answer them. And yeah, Hugh, like you were saying, feed enough data into an AI and it can start to write a script. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you've read any of those AI written scripts. They're mm -hmm. terrible. <laughs> well, but, yeah, I think they're jokes at the yeah. moment. I think everyone that does that, that's, no. it's mostly a joke. Yeah. Like see how, how, how ridiculously bad this is going to be. But the ones that freak me out are the ones like the, the guy who got uh, 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 an AI to write an episode of Friends right. after <laughs> having fed every single script of every single Friends episode. And there's moments where you can see that the AI is attempting to write a joke, not quite understanding what a joke is or how they work, but is attempting to put a gag in. And I'm like, it's starting to understand the structure. It's starting to understand what a joke is. It's trying to be funny. It's just not working. And I'm like, but that's now. Yeah. And the people having this conversation, I was going to say the people in this room, but that doesn't really quite work today, does it? <laughs> um, we all understand that if the technology is here now, 
it's not staying here. And I find that that's, that's one of the hardest things to explain to someone. Sure, Alexa is Alexa now, but the future of Alexa is, uh, in my opinion, creative jobs are going to become more about direction and less about, about um, creation. Uh, creation, exactly. Yeah. So you say, you say Alexa, I, I need to write a, a script for this TV show I'm working on. Uh, I want it to be kind of like X from last season. Let's, uh, you know, give me a draft of that. And then the AI writes it and you just sort of direct it and massage it in the direction you want, which is a totally different uh, game than, than sitting down and writing a script for a TV show. So it changes jobs. Yes, and I see your point, but I also think that in terms of visual art, maybe not so much. Like, because if you think of the old masters, they didn't paint most of it, or Jeff Koons doesn't make his work. Um, So there's this kind of, there's sort of precedence, I think, in the creative fields for having other hands make the work. Right, totally. Yeah. But it is sort of interesting thinking. Like, one of the things I'm fascinated with is that. If we can get beyond the idea of of the specific technologies and really around who we are as humans and how we relate to technology, I think that's where it gets really interesting. And that's where if we can harness that and feel as though we have some power over that and, um, you know, like because like AI for good, like if we can take these powerful things, which are clearly powerful and they might not be creative in themselves, but can be directed that way, like. How do we, instead of saying, you know, all these big corporations get to control us, we get to say, we have these cool technologies. How do we make, and this is where I think I like the idea of writing sort of science fiction for cities, is how do we create a possibility that we want so that we can move towards that? Because there's a lot of fear in all of this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's, and I'm trying to remember the exact quote, but Jared Ficklin one of the FITC events uh, said, you know, we've always talked about machines as being something that are uh, deployed. And um, we have to think, and I can't remember the exact words he used, but he said we need to think of them more as things that are nurtured, mm-hmm. you know, almost mm-hmm. like like, like, uh, like sent out into the world like we would send a, a teenager who's becoming a young adult. So we, we train them. We allow them to evolve and grow in such a way that there's a relationship between the human side and the machine side. Well, oftentimes I was looking something up. I was looking up a, – there's a guy named Philip Viznik who uh, is a he's the creator of Hollow magazine. Uh, he's an architect. And we had a really interesting conversation one time where we talked about – I said I don't ever – I don't like having the project I'm working on. I don't like knowing the end. Like I, I, I always feel like if I know the end, I probably have I've leapt to a conclusion I didn't want to have. And he goes, "That's exactly how I teach." He goes, "You know," he says, "When I start to teach, I explain to my students that if you already know what that thing is going to look like, then you, then you're not learning, right?" And I wonder if, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases, when you're trying to do a forecast, if you're forecasting based off a of technology, you're probably not forecasting correctly. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're going to say, well, we need to accommodate drones, well, you know, drones probably aren't going to be what you're going to accommodate. You're going to accommodate something else. Mm-hmm. But you need you need to accommodate something in the air. Right. So you need to think about what's in the air versus what's on the ground and what is on the ground. You know what I mean? You start to think as opposed to I am going to answer the question of right now. I'm answering the question of tomorrow, which is what you're essentially doing. Mm-hmm. 
if you think specifically about one type of technology, then you're probably limiting how you're going to answer the question. Mm-hmm. For sure, as as opposed to thinking of kind of behaviors or outcomes or experiences, right? Like, so the way that that we talk about smart cities a lot is very much from a social lens. Like, we want it to be an inclusive place. We want it to be fun, vibrant, safe, environmental. And so, if we're looking for those goals, then you find the right tools to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But if you pick the tools, then they shape us, which is what we're finding that's happening now. Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's why you have people who show up to a meeting that's called drones, yeah. as opposed to like. You know, Brilliant. the delivery system by which something happens, you know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't have to be a drone. Right. In a lot of cases, like it's even now I run into this right now in academia where someone has a preconceived notion as to what technology they want to use to answer a question. And I always say, like, well, what is your question? Because that might not be the technology you want and you just don't realize it. But now you're pigeonholed into it. Mm-hmm. So, like, more often than not, someone will say, I want to use 3D printing. And I'll be like, Why? Why do you want to use 3D printing? What is it you want to accomplish? The thing you want to accomplish should then dictate what you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's – I have to imagine that's what you're dealing with on a daily basis. There are people who are, are sort of they, – they allow themselves to limit their scope in, in the question that they ask so, they, so that they can answer with it something they already know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know the answers. Yeah. Which is, I think, the most liberating and probably most frightening thing that's involved in what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, we even are, are – so one of the projects we're doing is around innovation challenges. So a lot of cities are doing this. But the idea behind that is instead of a normal process where we say, here's an RFP, here's our problem, here's a solution, now write an enormous form for us. Right. <laughs> so we're trying yeah. – so we're switching it up and saying, here's the problem. And then letting um, letting companies come to us. And I think that those are huge shifts for governments um, because we don't always know the answer. And there are creative solutions that we will never think of. Um, or even if we do think of it internally, having an outside voice say it makes a big difference as well. And I think that those things are, are the ways that we are going to be able to create our communities because – not just technology, but the world is changing really quickly. Mm-hmm. And if we just kind of hold on to this vision of what things should be, it, it's never going to flow very well. And this is where I think you get these tensions between citizens and their governments because they they just see it as a constant source of tension as opposed to kind of like when we were talking earlier about when you get that great collaboration and you just flow back and forth yep. and you're both putting into the same kind of dream goal of what the project is. And if we think of our cities that way, it's a much nicer way to build them. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Stefan. Yes, you? I think I think that bookends the episode so mm-hmm. nicely. Unless, Anthea, unless you have something you'd like to add. Nope, I think Voluntarily. That's, <laughs> I think that's good. That Just so, so you know, she made, a, she made a circle with her hands and went, that was it. That's what I wanted to talk about. It's, that's what's happened. So, Stefan. Well, I would say one thing that we can still add, mm-hmm. uh, Anthea, people who are interested, because I, th- I think that some of our listeners might be interested in, in, in Smart City, uh, especially those that, that live and work in the Toronto area, and they say, well, I have a, a great idea for some future tech. 416 <laughs> <laughs> so, so how how does how does one get involved in the smart city program? Um, so there's a few ways. Uh, so I've started something called the Center for Civic Curiosity, and that is the public engagement arm of our, our smart cities. So there'll be lots of events and activities over the year. So we're actually starting in September um, with the data governance programs. So we're actually going to build. Um, 
uh, data principles with the public, and then those will become our smart city policy. And then throughout the year, we'll have other events and activities that way. Um, if you go to the Smart City Mississauga website, which I cannot remember the URL, but if we'll you look that up. We'll put it in the show up. notes. Anything in the show notes. Anything you mention here, we'll, we'll sh- put in the show notes for sure. Perfect. And there's um, an info email there. And if you have any questions, you can email me there. I'm always happy to talk about this. And then there'll also be the innovation challenges as well for businesses to, to get involved. In. And that'll be sort of either November or January that we launch those. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Awesome. See, Stefan, you always do. You always do. Make sure you ask the right question. <laughs> he's my. I try. He's my yang to my yin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I made a little hand gesture too, like yin yang. You're my so guy. Yin yang slash heart. Heart. I made a heart. <laughs> I was like bing bong. Um, okay. Well, Stefan. <laughs> I always say bing bong, and he's, he's like, "Why did you say bing bong?" I'm like, I don't know. Um, Anthea, thank you so much. This has been a truly informative and eye-opening episode. And I truly appreciate your your presence here. Stefan, across the yes. pond. <laughs> yeah, Anthea, I, I second that. I'm, I was very happy to have you on the show. I'm sorry that I couldn't be there in person, uh, which would have been so much more fun. But next time. That sounds good. Thank you, guys. That was fun. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Any other information can be found at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Yeah.